Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're finally here post-draft. The Giants have some new players. We finally know who it is they took with the number four overall pick. And his name is Andrew Thomas. Offensive tackle, Georgia. And as I was kind of preaching the the few weeks leading up to it, it just didn't seem that they were going to go. And I know a lot of people wanted it. But it just didn't seem they were going to go in the direction of Isaiah Simmons, the defensive playmaker from Clemson. Didn't have a natural position. Maybe wasn't the most natural fit in what the Giants are trying to do defensively. And personally, and I've talked about this before, and it's a discussion that I spoke to other teams in the league, that they have this, these kind of conversations that, does he play a premium position? Is it filling a premium position for us? And so the Giants decided to go with offensive tackle, which I thought was the right move, right? I thought it was the right move for this team at this time. They needed to make sure that they protected the investment, specifically in Daniel Jones, but and Saquon Barkley as well, because they had top six picks three years in a row. You can't come away from that with a running back, a quarterback, and a, a linebacker, which is what Isaiah Simmons would have been. A versatile linebacker, but a linebacker, and not a middle linebacker. Like those Two of those three would have been non-premium positions. They needed to come away with an offensive tackle because they have to make sure that Daniel Jones, who, by the way, fumbled to turn the ball over a lot last year because he was under pressure, is protected now and moving forward into the future. So hopefully having a bookend tackle, you know, a steady, this is our left tackle, right tackle. I don't care which one it is, to be honest with you. I mean, I'd rather be his blind side, but I'm not. Look at some of the pass rushes. Demarcus Lawrence goes against the right tackle every game. Brandon Graham goes against the right tackle. Chase Young is probably going to flip around. So the right tackle in the Giants is going to be extremely important. But I have no complaints about being Andrew Thomas. I said before the draft I thought it was going to be either Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs. I picked Wirfs as the pick. At him I thought maybe a little above Andrew Thomas. I knew they liked them both. Didn't know which one they liked more. Turns out they liked Andrew Thomas more. No complaints here. I did that survey with Rich Samini, right, our Jets reporter, and we basically got took everyone's rankings on the offensive tackles. You know, rank them one to four at your top because there's there was four guys of head and shoulders above everybody else. And Andrew Thomas got two first place votes. I I probably got I don't know, talked to five of the six people, Rich talked to, you know, five or six of them, whatever, whatever it turned out to be. Two of the five or six that I talked to, both NFL scouts, real personnel guys who who deal with college players and know the ins and outs of these college guys. Those two guys, and I these are probably two of the people I trust most with evaluations when I talk to people. Because let's be honest, if you you can tell the difference. Some people you know which guys are really good at evaluations. Like they keep telling you guys you you know when they when they do better they hit on more than they miss. And these two guys that had Andrew Thomas first are near the top of my list of people I trust. And they had him number one. Okay. Actually, I'll unload my book on what I what I see from him, but what I heard about him, and it was mostly good. Now, 
don't get me wrong, everybody had some knocks. So, you know, every every player in the draft, you could sit there and have some knocks on. So he's going to have some negatives. But here's what I heard about Andrew Thomas. Best left tackle. Most game ready. People are swinging and missing on him, one guy, one of the guys who had him number one told me. They thought the, the public and the draft experts had it wrong, the fact that they had him as the number four tackle, which they were obviously right because Andrew Thomas was the number one on, on a, a bunch of boards in regards to the tackles. Uh, another comment was still athletic upside, consistent, dependable, safest bet, number one OT, fundamentally sound. Both run and pass block. Really good player. Good tape. Now some of the critiques, and look, you have to be honest, this is a process where we're nitpicking, right? I mean, every team in the league would have wanted Andrew Thomas. Just like they well, every team in the league would want Jedrick Wills, every team would want Tristan Wirfs, and everyone, every team would want Mekhi Becton. But we're nitpicking these kids, young men I should say, I shouldn't say kids. We're nitpicking these young men because that's the process. And you're sort of picking, okay, which is the best of the best of the top four tackles? So some of the critiques about him were sometimes he gets overextended. They didn't see, one of the people did not see natural raw power, which he then described in, with the term, not an ass kicker. And another person said not special. Doesn't mean they didn't like him. Trust me, they all liked him. Everybody thought he was going to be a darn good player. Safest, lowest risk offensive tackle. And when you're in the situation the Giants are, that is key. Because they can't have another Eric Flowers. They can't afford that. And I think with Andrew Thomas, they have someone that they know is going to be a pretty good player. And I feel pretty confidently after talking to all these people that he is going to be a pretty good player. The only one I, I probably would have taken, I probably wouldn't have liked as much would have been Jedrick Wills if the Giants drafted him. Just because he's a total projection at left tackle. Where I think ideally you would like the guy to play on the left. I understand I just said how important it is to be on the right. Ideally I would like him to play on the left. Or at least I would, I think it's a bonus for the Giants to have that as an option. With Wills, that's a total projection. The other three had played left tackle to some degree, right? But I understand. Worf's a little bit of a risk. He's a, he has to grow. He has that extreme athleticism, but not everybody saw it on tape. He's a little bit more of a projection. Becton, a little more of a risk. At one point, he was 380 pounds. He wasn't in shape. What happens when he gets all the money? Now, I like Becton and the fact that, and he ended up, by the way, going to the Jets at 11. I like Becton and the fact that the upside of him is off the charts. Like To me, that would have been the guy that I would have wanted. Just from hearing everything I heard, and I talked to his trainer, Duke Manyweather, and he kind of convinced me that that risk of him reverting to uh, laziness wasn't going to be a problem. So to me, like, oh, man, that guy has huge upside. But Andrew Thomas, there's a lot to like. And there's upside with him, too. So I understand why he's the pick. If I'm picking number four, he's probably the pick because I can't miss. And he still has, and I, and look, this was one of the comments I just said, right? He still has that athletic upside. He's a really good athlete as well. His arms are, I mean, Will Chamberlain-like arms, 36-and-a-half-inch arms. I mean, that's, I think it was like tied for second or maybe or third for longest arms. By the way, the longest arms end up being a guy the Giants drafted in Matt Pert of all the opens alignment at the combine. So that's where I stand on the Giants first round pick. I think it's a good pick. We'll go over the other picks in one second here. The second round pick to the Giants was 36, Xavier McKinney. 
Now, this draft, the success of it, could hinge on Xavier McKinney. This was a huge one, okay? Uh, as far as I'm aware, what I knew was that, and before the beginning of the second round, I said, the two, my, two guys I like most, Xavier McKinney and Zach Bond for the Giants to draft. Two players I know they liked were very high on them. Zach Bond was an edge rusher from Wisconsin. But the Giants, they had a first-round grade on Xavier McKinney, okay? So they were going to take him. I spoke to an executive. He told me, good pick for them. And that executive thought he could play the post, the deep portion of the field, and as sort of like a, free, a natural free safety. Alabama moved him around a lot, and obviously it's a fit for the Giants, okay? But here's the thing. So the Giants, they had him in the first round. The first round goes by. He's sitting on the board. They say, okay, we have an offer for a trade, but we really like this guy. He's a first-round pick available in the second round. We can't pass up on him. That's the Dave Gettleman in the, in the Giants, the old scout guy, right, saying we can't pass on Xavier McKinney. Now, the other option was you have pick 36, the fourth pick of the second round, move back a little bit, pick up some more draft capital, Maybe be able to add another pick either directly or indirectly with another trade at the top of the third round or, or whatever. Where at that point, they then could have gotten a center that they liked. On the board at that time, Matt Hennessy from Temple, LSU's Lloyd Cushenberry. So they could have had a lower level safety. They could have, let's say, passed on McKinney, drafted Jeremy Chin, who I think went with the last pick of the second round, right? And got a, a center that they liked. Instead, they waited till the end of the third round, one of the final few picks, number 99, and got another offensive tackle in Matt Pert, who the Giants had at the top of the second round. So they're sitting there at 99, and they got a guy that they had in the second round, top half of the second round grade. So they look at it say, look at the great values we have. Now, I think to get that extra player would have been nice in between, especially at center, a position they need. Uh, so it's all contingent on what Xavier McKinney is. Now, here's what I'll say about McKinney. 95 tackles, four forced fumbles, which was tied for fourth in the nation. 13 All-American. Louis Riddick raved about him. Best safety in the draft. Mel Kuyper loved him. Had him as his 15th ranked player. Rex Ryan watched him, said he's a star, along with Antoine Winfield Jr. And first-year starters, he said about both those guys. So, But the thing is, with Xavier McKinney, is he has to turn out to be a stud. A really good player. you know. And by stud, I mean, if he... Is Landon Collins, now granted they have a different skill set, Landon Collins was drafted the first pick of the second round. That's a successful pick. I don't care what you think of Landon Collins. You have a player who's going to make the Pro Bowl on an All-Pro and be in the conversation at least for one year for Defensive Player of the Year in the second round when, if you go look at the percentage of picks that hit, that's a, that's a good pick, okay? Whether you wanted to pay Landon Collins all that money, different story. But anyway, if you read there was an article by Bob McGinn, who's basically the dean of uh, NFL draft reporters. He's been doing this for years. He talks to an endless number of scouts and executives. And if you read his write-up on Xavier McKinney, you realize there's people who think he's really good, and there's other people that aren't so high on, high on him. It's sort of like a split. So here's some of the quotes he had in that story. Good pick for them. Bob McGinn, by the way, writes for The Athletic. Good pick for uh No, sorry. That was the wrong, I'm reading the wrong, the wrong quotes. Okay, so here's where the scouts and execs were. Most complete package, okay, to he'll be exposed. He won't be able to run. He ran a 4.63 at the combine, said it was cramps. 
But the best he ran in training, he said, was four two five two four five three. So you run a four five two four five three in training, you're usually going to run a little higher than that in the pros. So let's split the difference. He's probably like a four five eight guy, which is borderline. Which I understand. You understand if people have concerns about him. We'll see. The Giants think he plays faster, but you see why people have con- some concerns about him. Some other scouts and execs comments on Xavier McKinney. Really good player, winner, leader, versatile, good football player. Uh, plays faster than times. No buzz there. But then there's other things. Missed tackles late in the year. Didn't do a good job on the interview. One of their one of the scouts said. Uh, he'll be exposed. So, there you go. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. The jury's out on Xavier McKinney. There's no, like, slam dunk, this guy's a stud, best player in the draft. Right? No. It's not the way it's going to be. But, so that's why, to me, especially, I think the move there was to move around. With, like, the Patriots do. Like, maybe Joe Judge probably grew up in the Patriots system seeing how they operate. But Dave Gettleman, as far as I heard, was still in charge of the draft. Now, is Joe Judge heavily involved, probably more than the other coaches? Yes. Was his coaching staff? Yes. Those are two things I heard. But Dave Gettleman's still running the draft. And you can see that because they didn't move at all. They didn't make any trades. Bill Belichick and the Patriots, by the way, average about four trades a year. They made, they made a trade by the end of third, they made more trades by the end of Thursday night, which was the first round, than the Giants made the whole draft. But that's just the Gettleman philosophy. We've had this discussion with him. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to throw more fish in the pond, right? To say, okay, let's get three guys and hope that those three guys are better than the one or one or two guys. Because let's be honest, nobody is really that good in the draft, especially after the first round. Everybody stinks in the draft. Your your hit rates are low after the first round. They're not in your favor. So I'm a big believer, and I think the Patriots are, and the Eagles are, and uh, the Rams are in general, and the Seahawks obviously do it. The more picks, the more players you add to the puzzle, especially in the mid-late rounds, the higher chance you have of hitting on some. Basic math, right? But the Giants stayed pat. They got McGinney in the second round, Matt Pert in the third round. Now, Matt Pert is a guy who the same person who told me to love Andrew Thomas, one of the people who had him number one, <laughs> His comment was, don't really like him, okay? Now, he has huge arms, he has athletic traits, but this person in specific just thought he was more traits than player. I spoke to someone else who thought he was a, he had a lot of potential. They liked him going forward. So those are kind of the, the pros and cons on Matt Pert. Uh, even longer arms, he had the longest arms out of anybody at the combine for off- offensive tackle. So he has that length that the Giants like, that Gettleman and, and the scouts brought up. Matt Pert. Now... Is Matt Pert going to start and be an instant contributor? Probably not. So with the third-round pick, which is essentially almost a fourth-round pick because you have to remember it was a compensatory pick, the Giants got a player who's probably going to sit on the bench for a year or two. He's a developmental project a little bit. So any belief that he's going to all of a sudden start over Nate Solder seems to be silly to me. Okay, Likely, Giants are going to have Andrew Thomas on one side, Nate Solder on the other. To be determined what side that is, the Giants are going to throw them all into a pot, I believe. We'll get more into that later and figure it out at a later date. Fourth round pick, pick 110, Darnay Holmes from UCLA. This is a guy who graduated in two and a half years, speed and quickness, he has it, and a playmaker, which I think the Giants like. Here's the thing with Darnay Scott. 
He projects as a nickel, you know, nickel cornerback, a guy who's going to cover people in the slot, which if you think about it with the Giants, was one of their biggest needs. So Darnay Scott, Darnay Scott, Darnay Holmes is a guy who could end up being a starter this year. Now it's going to be tough for rookies, especially late round rookies, undrafted rookies, because this is a year where there's not a spring. There's no rookie mini camp where they're going to be able to come in and get on the field, learn the system that way. So rookies, the rookies I name from now on, especially, are going to have a hard time contributing this year. Shane Lemieux, fifth round, okay, 150th pick. Giants are going to cross-train him at center as well, but he has never played at center. Now, Darnay Holmes hadn't really played in the slot either, he said, but at least he did it at the Senior Bowl. Shane Lemieux really hasn't done it in game action or practice action ever. He was a left guard, played every game, said the only snap he missed at Oregon was when his when his shoe came off. It was against Wyoming. So, uh, Iron Man type guy, Shane Lemieux. A guard, hard nose. Uh, but center, that's going to be a tough transition for him. I spoke to a source. I said, what do you think about him at center? That's what the Giants are planning on doing. His answer was, eh, tough. Didn't Was a little worried that he didn't have the quickness to play center. And the Giants are trying to find guys that have quickness. That gets big to this system and they're about to run, that their center, that their tackles, that their linemen can move. They can get out, that they can get to the second level. Which is why Hennessy and Cushenberry would have fit. Which is why I know they like Keith Ismael a little bit to some degree, or some people in the organization did from San Diego State. He was eventually drafted later on. That there was, so, I, I thought that they might go in that direction. They decided not to. They like, they thought they obviously had it. Lemieux graded above him in that fifth round, so they went in that direction. Cam Brown, outside linebacker, Penn State, round six, pick one eighty three. Uh, long outside linebacker, not a natural pass rusher but this is the first pass rusher the Giants added and really what you see here at this point on is the Giants said we're going to throw as many guys into the mix like I said before so I do agree with this philosophy get as many linebackers outside linebackers as possible uh, between uh, the bottom end of the draft at this point and undrafted free agents and throw them in the pot and try and hit on one so Cam Brown sixth round Carter Coughlin another guy round seven you're talking about a high-effort guy, okay? A guy who, uh, tall, linear player, speed on the high motor, speed. These are some of the, the the terms used by the Giants' decision makers, meaning Joe Judge and uh, Dave Gettleman. And really what's key here is the Giants, and I think this was a little different with Joe Judge here, he wanted guys with developmental qualities and tools that they can take in the later rounds and develop into maybe bigger, better players than people thought they were going to be. So next pick, T.J. Brunson, uh, linebacker from South Carolina. Smaller guy, will-type will linebacker, uh, can run can run a little bit. A lot of special teams value there. So T.J. Brunson now added to the mix. He was round seven, pick 238. The Giants, by the way, they own round seven. Okay, They had four picks. Chris Williamson, cornerback, safety, kind of guy, round seven out of Minnesota. What Joe Judge said about him is he plays corner safety, what they call the star position. So he has positional flex. Even like a big linebacker, a smallest linebacker in you know nickel-dime type coverages. So that's where Chris Williamson fits in. Again, long and can run. Sense a trend here? That's his deal. Tay Crowder, final pick, Mr. Irrelevant, round seven, 255, 
linebacker, runs and plays at a 4-6 type level, can really run versatile, special teams kind of guy, kind of guy you want on your team, leader, okay? So again, a lot of common themes with these guys. I'll go over the undrafted guys at a future date, but that's what you got from the Giants draft. Ten players didn't move around. Ten picks they were in, they picked ten different ten guys. Those are them. One observation about this, right? Notice where they're from. Especially in this draft, I think that was notable. Georgia, Andrew Thomas. Xavier McKinney, Alabama. So two SECs so far. Matt Pert, UConn. Okay? UConn's in the AAC, the smallest of the divisions that you're going to hear here. Darnay Holmes, Pac-12, UCLA. Shane Lemieux, Pac-12, Oregon. Cam Brown, Big Ten, Penn State. Carter Coughlin, Big Ten, uh, Minnesota. TJ Brunson, SEC, South Carolina. Chris Williamson, Big Ten, Minnesota. Tay Crowder, Georgia, SEC. So there's no small, small school guys that came out of this draft. All power conferences, pretty much, except for Matt Purr. So some big-time programs, guys that were been coached hard in the past, something Joe Judge likes. Guys that have played against high level of competition. That was huge with Andrew Thomas. Huge. The Giants liked that he did well against players like, uh, Kalevon Chason, who was drafted high in his draft. Like Romeo, uh, not Romeo Okwara, his brother. Uh, Julian Okwara from Notre Dame dominated him. Uh, Josh Allen played really well against, at Kentucky the previous year. So the fact that he played and performed well against these type of players, was really the differentiator from Andrew Thomas and the rest of the pack. And that's why he's a New York Giant right now. A big part of it. Now let's learn a little bit more about Andrew Thomas. We have a special guest coming up. Somebody who knows Andrew Thomas very well. On to the next one. All right, let's bring in someone here who knows Andrew Thomas very well and knows what he's all about and what the Giants are getting. We're going to talk to his high school coach, uh, who also happened to be a standout in the NFL, played a large portion of his career with the New England Patriots. I believe he even was an all-pro, am, am I right? Yep, all-pro. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, we got Chris Slade here. Uh, so he, he knows the Bill Belichick and even Joe Judge way a little bit. We'll get to that in a second. But he's his high school. he was his high school coach at Pace Academy in Georgia, where they won a state championship, I believe. Yep. Correct? Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, and Andrew's junior year. Yep. 2015, so that was a big deal for them. So let's start with what are the Giants getting? What do, what do you know about Andrew Thomas, and, and what are they getting as a player? Well, first of all, I mean, getting the class individual, um, it doesn't get any better than him. Uh, he's a uh, smart kid, very um, uh, humble. Um, you know, uh, he's one of those kind of kids. He doesn't talk a lot. I mean, he's he will be, you know, I guess he'll have to adjust a little bit to New York. Uh, being a little obviously a faster pace and obviously people a lot more vibrant, if you will. Uh, but he's, he's a quiet young man. He doesn't say much, but when he talks, people listen, uh, and respectful. He's going to work hard. He's going to come in and, uh, really respect the older guys. He, he, he understands the history of giant football. And that was one of the first conversations I had with him last Thursday night, uh, after the draft. I was like, man, you gotta, you're going into a historic program. I'm very well versed in it. Um, you just got to make sure you go in and, surround yourself around veteran players and guys who, who understand the game, understand New York, understand the New York media. And he was very receptive to it. And he's very coachable. Uh, he, he hadn't forgotten where he's, where he's come from. He always visits us. Been times with our guys 
at pace in terms of just kind of teaching him the ropes. And uh, he's just a class individual. I, I can't think of a more deserving kid and family that's going to reap the benefits of him going off to the NFL. And uh, it was just a really delight for me to, to be a part of this kid's life for so, such a long, long time since I met him and actually when he was in the eighth grade and we were fortunate for him to come to pace. What, what was he like when you talked to him on Thursday night? I mean, what, what was, you know, that's a, that's a big night in, in somebody's life. I mean, a milestone, I'm sure you didn't forget when you were, you were drafted, right? I mean, and I'm sure he, he'll never forget this night either. No, he was ecstatic. Um, he was just, you know, overwhelmed with joy and, uh, but, but in Andrew fashion, uh, you know, he wasn't, you know, literally jumping up and, you know, and doing all the, you know, the stuff that a lot of guys doing draft day. He smiled and he was happy, but he was still subdued, still kind of mild mannered on the outside. But I know on the inside, he was just filled with joy and just, and, and just relieved that the process was over with. Uh, but you can just see and, 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 and see how, how excited his family was for him and, and, and just seeing that, okay, man, this, this guy's done a really good job of, putting himself in a position to really take care of his family and do things that right. he probably didn't think he'd be able to do one at one day. Knowing what the, how the Giants operate and like the, the, what they want in their players, they probably love the fact that he's humble and that, that this is, you know, he just takes us in stride and now he's ready to get to work. I mean, that, that's exactly kind of what they were looking for. And I think that's a big reason he was the number four overall pick because when you looked at him and you look at his makeup and everything about him, the way he's performed, where he did it, it minimized the risk in him, and especially compared to some of the other guys. There was a little more risk. Some of them were a little more projection, whereas they knew what they were getting, I feel like, with Andrew Thomas. So how surprised were you that he ended up being that number four overall pick? I'm sure you heard coming into the, the whole process of there was all these four top offensive linemen and nobody really knew exactly where anybody was going. Jordan, that's true. You know, I, I talked to several NFL teams that called me throughout the process to kind of get a little character – get a character background check on him and just kind of get my thoughts on him. And, you know, my answer was pretty consistent um, that, you know, there's nothing in this kid can't do at left tackle. Uh, he's, he's going, he's, and you said the word the best, he's been just consistent. You know what you're going to get, uh, you know, when you line up what he's going to bring every single, in this case, Sundays, you saw it for four years in the SEC, line up against the best pass rushes, the best players in the country. And he was just consistent, you know, for four years, the first day started at, um, at UGA, went to Notre Dame. I went to the game and watched him. And from that point forward, he held his own as a true freshman at Notre Dame. Uh, I said, you know what? This, he, he, he gets it now. He understands <laughs> it. This guy has a chance to be really special, um, and do all those things. I, I talked to a, a giant personnel, uh, person, uh, I think the Friday before the draft and he called me and said, is there any reason why we shouldn't take him on the fourth pick? And I said, absolutely not. So if you have an opportunity to take Andrew Thomas, you got to take him. You know, and I told Andrew throughout the course of the process, the last week or two before the draft, I said, Andrew, it makes me feel good when some of these coaches and scouts and GMs are calling and inquiring about you. I don't have to lie. I don't have to make up a story. Right. I don't have to say, well, he's okay. <laughs> I can say with strong conviction, um, you're getting a classy kid who's going to, who loves football, you know, and he works hard. And, um, I told him, you gotta, you know, this is, this is going to be a big deal, man. So I'm, I'm so excited for him. Yeah, I mean, it's not like one of those. Sometimes you you have to take that call. I'm sure, and you you're like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he he really started working hard, you know, by the time he was a senior, you know, right, <laughs> and you, right, and you're right. kind of like talking around it. You you don't actually have to do that, right? But but there was a time with Andrew. I mean, I I was reading a little yep. bit, yeah, where he you kind of had a crossroads with him, right? You hit a crossroads yep. because this is a guy who 
he was in the band. He, he has other interests as well, right? He was yep. a, a very musical family. Yep. And he was doing the band and football at the same time. And you said to him, hey, we kind of need a commitment here, a, a sort of an ultimatum is, is what I read of how it was, was laid out. So tell us about that and how that sort of played out. Well, I'll tell you, uh, his first couple years, you know, I, when I first saw him, and in, in like in middle school, when he was coming through the process to come to Pace Academy, mm-hmm. I, I, I said, listen, man, I said, you got a chance to write your own ticket. I said, if you just work harder and you just really start committing yourself to football, I said, you can you can write your own ticket one day, Andrew. I just saw the potential from the first time I laid eyes on him. And then it was probably around middle of his in the middle of the end to his sophomore season. He was just having a bad practice. And I just like was I mean I was on him hard I mean I was on him the whole, the whole four years. And, <laughs> he's and the kind of guy you can get on though like he, yeah, that, that's the, he reacts fine to that. You're, he's one of those guys you have no problem doing that. Total respectful, never back talk. I mean, never had you know never you know never was disrespectful when you got on him. He just would listen and look and just and go back to work. That's a tribute to his parents. But it was one day in sophomore year, he was just not having a good practice, kind of getting beaten one on ones and just kind of going through the motions. And I just lost it and I just said Andrew hey man I said listen you got to make your mind up I said either you're going to play in the band or you're going to be a left tackle I said right now I don't think you're doing either one of them any good and I said <laughs> F- figure it out son and I just kicked him out of practice and I told him I said go call Belinda that's his mom I said tell her to pick you up and he just looked at me and walked off the field and then he was sitting inside our gymnasium at the practice and I went over to him I said Andrew um I, I love you this is not about me you know, this is nothing personal but I'd be doing you a disservice and I'm not doing my job if I don't squeeze every single bit of talent out of you that, that I know that you have. I said, I, and I played in the NFL. You have what it takes. If you just do what you're supposed to do, you can set your family set up, set them up for the rest of their life and you can write your own ticket. And I, and I don't know after that, Jordan, the light bulb just turned on. He was a different kid. And from that point forward, uh, we saw the Andrew Thomas that New York's about to get in the fall. Wow, that's a great story. So wait, did he, has he ever brought that up to you like that day or that, that practice in the past, like, you know, in retrospect? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was, a, it was a few other hard talks after that during practice I'd get on, but that was the one I think that really resonated. And, you know, if you talk to him now, he, you know, he tells that story to a lot of people about <laughs> the band and all that. And, uh, but, you know, I, I just felt like, uh, you know, it's, I had to get I, that kid had to, you know, I wouldn't want to see him walk across that stage and get a degree without maximizing his talent. And right. I felt like he was that kid that could really could take it to a Sunday draft. I mean, excuse me, to play on Sundays. Right. I mean, that's pretty rare. You don't see many kids that are involved in band and football. That's a, you have to be a pretty strong person to be able to handle it. That's not something that, that kids are able to do that easily. And I'm sure it's easy for other guys to razz on him about being in the band. I mean, that you have to be a, a solid individual to be able to do both of those and do it confidently and, you know, and, and be able to handle that. Jordan, he would spend literally, we'd have a pep rally on Fridays and he'd spend literally the first part of the pep rally with his Jersey on playing in the band. And I mean, he wasn't a guy that just made a lot of noise and it got, you know, it was a headache. Like he actually is really good at it. He right. played the percussion and played the drum. He could play all kinds of instruments. And then the second half of the pep rally, he'd come up with the football team and he did it for four years. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't something that, I'm just going to do that as an elective just to make sure I feel my requirements. Like he really enjoys it. His mom and dad, they're musically inclined. They play instruments in the church and so does Andrew. And, um, you know, it's something that he really enjoys. But I said, listen, you, you figure it out, man. Do pick one or the other. 
You know, right. so lucky for me, he picked, he picked Let Me Football. <laughs> <laughs> well, you won your first state title that year. Not that year, but in, with yeah, that team, yeah. right? That 20, yeah. 2015, you win a state title with him. Yeah. What were his contributions? You said he was a left tackle. Was, did he play defense as well? I mean, what was, what was his role on the team? Jordan, he played both ways, and he was actually, he made all state on uh, both ways. He was, and this is a big feat, he was uh, player of the year in Metro Atlanta, which is a big deal. I mean, there's a lot right. of good football players in Georgia. Oh, yeah. And he made it on, on, on at both ways, it, player of the year, because he played D-line and he played O-line. And he never came up the, you know, he never came up the field. And he really, he had a better junior year than he had senior year in terms of on the field. I mean, he played he played his butt off his junior year. Right. Yep. Uh, so what was it like? He then goes and he, he goes to Georgia, right? Yep. Which mm-hmm. is obviously, you know, you're doing all right. You go, you're getting a scholarship and an offer to go to Georgia. Uh, what was that like watching him? I know you mentioned that Notre Dame game, but you watch him from day one, that Notre Dame game. And then you watch him till the last game this year. What did you see from him as a player from that sort of the growth that he made during that point? You know, the biggest thing is um, he, he just really understands football. And you could just tell, I mean, my offensive line coach, Coach Johnson, it did a really good he job. He mentioned that as being his mentor. Yeah, he did a really good He did a really good job of really teaching Andrew how to play the position. Andrew came in with natural athletic ability. I mean, he played basketball and like in JV, played a little bit of baseball. So, you know, he wasn't a complete klutz. I mean, tree, trun- tree trunks for arms. I mean, they were always that was always that long because his long, arms are, are huge, right? Long arms. And, and an, an eighth arms, which is a huge number. Long arms. And he kind of, so he came in with some ability. And Coach Johnson did a really good job of just, um, just teaching him the, the position and how to play it and, and, and technique. And so you could just tell when Andrew walked into, uh, UGA as a, you know, freshman is in June. Because uh, our kids at Pace, we don't we don't let our kids early enroll. Our kids stay through graduation, and they don't right. start until June. So we don't do that deal. So when he got there, he was ready to go. So that helped a lot. And then you could see after every game, he, of course, he made frustrating mistakes. But you could see every game he was getting better and better, more and more confident, more and more confident. And it just continued just to grow. And, you know, and Coach Pittman did a great job at Georgia as well, you know, coaching him up. And so it, it wasn't a, it wasn't an accident that he went so high in the draft because he's gotten some really good coaching, uh, through high school and then on to Pittman at, at, um, at UGA. And I'll tell you this, and I'll tell people all the time that Andrew's probably the only player, maybe one other kid that you can tell them something and they'll know if you know what you're talking about. Right. Sometimes you can tell a kid something, even, even in NFL or college and they'll just do whatever you tell them to do because you're the coach and they say, well, it must be right. But if you tell Andrew or give him an assignment or if you give him a technique or maybe even draw a play, he'll know if you know what you're talking about. And if he doesn't agree with you or if he thinks he can do it better, he'll say something and he'll do it in a respectful way. And more times than not, Jordan, it'll be right. And I'll say, okay, Andrew, let me try that. And it'll work. Um, and that's just a unique quality that a lot of guys um, at any level just don't have the innate ability and IQ because he's so smart to, to be able to make those suggestions to a coach. And I trusted him enough to take those even in high school and be like, Andrew, okay, we'll try it that way and see how it works out. He could call every protection on the offensive line. He knew all five positions defensively. I, I, he knew all the blitzes. Uh, he knew all the gap controls. He knew all the techniques. Um, I never seen it in Pace Academy is a very hard school. I never uh-huh. seen a guy do, I never seen him do homework. I don't know when he ever did it, you know, <laughs> but he ended up like, you know, one of the top kids in the class. Um, 
Right. And, you know, and so he's just a gifted kid all the way around. So he was a top kid in the class, in the band, and this football star, while he also played basketball, too. Yep, yep, yep. Well, <laughs> did he play basketball in high school, or did he, did he give that up eventually? Let's, let's be careful when we say play basketball. He was on the team. I mean, yeah, he was a little bit, he was, he was a, he played in JV, and then he cut that out uh, around like a 10th grade. He did it right. just to keep in shape, because Coach Johnson actually was his JV basketball coach. So we wanted oh, our big go. guys to either play basketball or wrestle. And Andrew had some experience playing basketball, so he did that and played a little bit of baseball as well in ninth grade. But I think he did that just to duck, you know, spring workouts for football. And so we nipped that in the bud after ninth grade, and we got him out. <laughs> we got him out to, to do track and to run. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, too, you're too. You're too good for these other sports in football. Sorry. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. He's a high pick, obviously number four overall, and with high picks comes lofty expectations. Right. That's the natural. That's yep. the way of the world, right? The, the, yep. That's he's almost looked at this Giants line. Let's be honest; it's been pretty bad for the last, I don't know, eight nine years. Yep. So they're trying to fix it. The reality is he's sort of going to be looked at as the savior. Mm-hmm. How do you think he's going to handle that pressure and expectations as knowing him as an individual? I think his temperament and the way he approaches things, and he's a uh, he's a young man of faith. I think that he's, he's the right person for it. I think playing in that, um, his attitude will be the same every day. He'll come in, he'll prepare, he'll practice hard, he'll study. I don't think it's, it's going to bother him. Yeah. Will he get beat? Will he, will he give up a sack here and there? Hopefully not, but yeah, it's going to happen. You know, the old standing in the NFL, those guys get paid too. So yeah, right. he's going to, he's going to have those kind of, those Sundays. Hey, but rookie he, offensive lineman, it doesn't always go so smoothly. That's part of, that's part of how it goes. Rookie offensive linemen usually struggle in this league. If but, you, I don't care where you're drafted. They true. usually have their first year. If you're average, that's like a, a huge success. Very true. And I, I, I do think, again, playing in that SEC and playing against some of those top pass rushers, they're playing against the Bamas, the LSUs yep. uh, of the world, the Floridas. I, I and, you know, and, and obviously the big bowl stage he's played on. I think that that's, that's helped him prepare for this moment. And I think that was a very attractive thing that, uh, that I'm sure the Giants personnel looked at, but he'll, he'll handle it fine. Um, uh, even when he's not playing well, he won't get down on himself because he doesn't like to get beat. He has a lot of pride and he wants to do the right things. And he, and he still understands there's naysayers out there and they're going to be people that's going to say things about him that he shouldn't have got drafted that high. And I told him, I said, Andrew, now here's the deal. I played in Boston for a long time, Boston, New York. I mean, they're very similar, um, you know, media places. They can spot a phony a mile away. Right. I said, and if you're not playing well, they don't have a problem letting you know it. So this honeymoon state that you're going in right now, everybody's telling you the Knicks greatest thing, the Lawrence Taylor up there. I said, it's going, it, it could go away real quick if you give up yeah. a couple of sacks on a Sunday afternoon. So keep things in perspective. And you know, he understands that, you know, he understands yeah, all he's got to do is research Eric Flowers. You'll, you'll see that yeah, real yeah. quick. He, he understands that. Yep. Exactly. Oh. So, okay, so you played for Bill Belichick. You know what that's all about, right? You know, yep. you know the whole spiel, the whole way. You know the whole Belichick way and Parcells and Parcells. Yeah. Well, Joe Judge, you know, he's a disciple of Bill Belichick. He's been up there for what the last previous eight years. Yep. Mm-hmm. A lot of things he does are going to be the same kind of Bill Belichick kind of stuff. You already see it. He he doesn't want to name any names. Everybody's starting on an even plane. You know, it's all about team and. And he doesn't want to make put any pressure and more pressure on any individuals than it's already there. What advice would you are you going to give, or would you give Andrew for playing for a coach like that? You might not know Joe Judge that much personally, but 
trust me when I tell you, there's a lot of Bill Belichick in him, and even Nick Saban to a degree, because he worked for Nick Saban as well. Jordan, you know, it's interesting that you say that, because if you go back in history, uh, look at Andrew's trajectory and kind of his foundation, uh, you know, playing for me, you know, for four years, you know, in high school, I took a lot of that um, model and uh, the way that I conducted practice, the way that I went about my defenses, the way that I go mm-hmm. about even some of the terminology and verbiage. He knew he he's heard it all already. Now I'm asking he's heard it all at the obviously the NFL level, but right. it won't be a lot of foreign talk to him. And then he goes to Kirby. You know, Kirby played. You know, yeah. with Saban and obviously Saban and Belichick's relationship. And Judge actually the, knows Kirby pretty well. Dating back to the Browns. And so when I talked to Andrew, when he got to Georgia, I'd be like, Andrew, so what is Georgia like? Well, coach, I hear the same stuff from you that I heard from Kirby that I heard from you for four years. Right. Because we've all heard it and it all kind of started with Belichick and Parcells. So it'll just be an extension of what he's already known, what he's already heard, what, how, how to conduct practice, how to go about your business. It, he, he'll adjust fine because he started right. hearing it from me in the ninth grade. You know, <laughs> even going back to this, you know, this all the way we do, the way we conduct things, the way we practice, the way we, um, orchestrate our, our, our practice and the way we go about our business. And I think that really helped him with adjustment with Kirby because it wasn't foreign. And then he'll adjust the same way when he gets to the Giants with, with Judd because he's heard it from Kirby and, and Saban and Slade. And, you know, I'm not putting myself in that category in terms of right. accomplishments, but in terms of just the, the way you do things, you know, it all starts. What's, what's one thing that comes to mind that's kind of like Belichick Parcells way of, of what you do down there and he kind of got a, a, a gist of you know big all about the team you know all about the team first we're going to do we're going to do whatever we have to do to win and we're going to put the team first there's no one bigger than the team and uh preparation right yeah I mean that's a big Joe Judge thing too there. He's, he'll, he'll get a lot of that Every, attention to detail is going to be Yep. A big thing that that, that he, they're going to preach down here. So, yep. but it sounds like he's in pretty good shape, and uh, sounds like he's been mentored pretty well along the way. And the New York Giants got a good one in Andrew Thomas. So, I appreciate your time. On to the next one. Wow! Thanks to Chris Slade there. I don't know how you listen to that and not come away enthused about what the Giants have in Andrew Thomas. I mean, you're talking about a guy who already has shown he's able to handle hard coaching, right? He's he's played under guys who are part of basically of the Belichick tree. He's going to be able to handle Joe Judge, who we know is going to be intense, serious, and a strong personality. Good young man, good family. Played against top competition in the SEC. I mean, a lot to like after listening to that about Andrew Thomas, even more than before, which was pretty good because the guy's the number four pick in the draft, so... All right, here's what we're going to do. Here, here I'm going to lay out, I'm going to lay out a quick plan for you, okay? Since I know some of you millennials, we've probably reached the end of your attention span. I wanted to do a Giants after dark, but what I'm going to do is we'll put out this, uh, this episode of the podcast, okay? And then what I'll do is I'll follow it up early next week, hopefully Monday or Tuesday with a strictly Giants after dark episode. So I'll just answer all your questions. 10, 15 questions are the best questions I could find, and I'll rip them off and make it one episode. It'll be the Giants After Dark episode of uh, Breaking Big Blue. So we'll answer all your questions there. And I'll give you a little Jordan on a beat because this was the draft weekend. Had to do some video, some you know television-type stuff, uh, and obviously on the Giants. And uh, This is the part of the episode, by the way, where I, I tell you uh, what it's like to be a Giants reporter. Uh, NFL reporter, work for ESPN, and, and and all. So 
We're all stuck in this quarantine, right? None of us can really get a haircut, especially up here in New York, New Jersey. There's no there's no going out for haircuts. There's no calling in for haircuts. Part of the deal. So you got to kind of have to take care of it on your own. And as you, some of you may know, I made a mess of my hair. Right? I, had, I had my daughter start it. My wife came in, had the clippers all of a sudden, zzz, all the way up to the top. So all the way up to the top is basically at a, like a one or two. I mean, all the way up, really high. So once you get really high on the side, then you got to go really short all the way around. So I look like a tennis ball. So I'm trying to go on TV and make some, you know, draft videos or whatever. And my hair, when it gets really short, no, it has nothing to do except for stand straight up. So if you've seen me, I'm standing there, in, at least not in those videos, but everywhere else, in a hood or a hat. Right? Because you got to cover it up. This haircut's awful. It's bad. I look like a tennis ball. Hair stands straight up. Now, fortunately, in the video, because of the way the camera is, you see the front of your, my head in the hair. You can't really see the back that it's just standing straight up. So th- these are these are the, the the you know the problems you face these days. Not that this is a problem at all compared to what's going on in the world. Uh, it's just something to laugh at. But the haircut conundrum is definitely one I warn you all: be careful about if you're cutting your own hair. You know, I was reading about it beforehand, and it said, if you're going to do it, make sure you go, you cut just a little bit, right? And you don't go short, because once you go short, you can't go back. But if you just trim a little bit, you can keep going a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. So go on, go err on the side of caution if you're cutting your own hair, or if you're having your wife, your girlfriend, your friend, whoever, your mom, your dad, cut your own hair, err on the side of caution. I... And living proof that haircuts, home haircuts, can go very wrong. Very wrong. So there's my uh, piece of wisdom as a Giants and NFL reporter, ESPN reporter, during this coronavirus pandemic. These are the things I'm dealing with, which in the grand scheme of things is a really small uh, complaint, right? Because I know how lucky I am. I'm healthy. My family's healthy, and hope everyone out there staying healthy. And I hope you enjoyed the draft. I think it really was a good respite uh, from what was going on outside, and everybody got a chance to enjoy, you know, uh, really a live sporting event. And the numbers showed they were off the charts, and it went off pretty well. It went off pretty well, even though Joe Judge had to relocate. He was going to do it in his basement in his house in Massachusetts, but at the last second. He realized, I think Wednesday, so the draft is Thursday. Wednesday, he realizes this might not work. This is too risky. The service in his basement was a little shoddy. So he, at that point, gets in the car or however he got here. And I assume he drove and, and got back to New Jersey where he has a temporary apartment. And he had the Giants people come meet him there, set up something at his apartment in New Jersey where he had the setup. And that's what you saw. And I don't know if you noticed. But on day one, there's this big, you know, black background, this dark black plane behind Joe Judge. Day two, the first pick, all of a sudden, it looks like he has this huge window with a balcony and the football field or something outside. Almost like, almost like the Giants facility. Like when, when you're standing on the second floor, there's a balcony there and there's, the, you're looking over the fields. That's almost what it looked like. I don't think that's not what it was, but that's almost what it looked like. And it turns out that that was a screen. And then again, once it got dark outside, you had the big plain black wall-like looking thing. 
So that was a screen he had back there. So Joe Judge sitting in his own apartment in New Jersey, which is pretty bare, and Cliff Kingsbury sitting in his uh, staged mansion. By the way, think about that. And uh, and I know I don't know if you've seen it or not. Whatever. Cliff Kingsbury sitting there. He's like in a pose. Somebody's taking a picture, and he's got the fireplace going in outside. And he's got this sick bachelor pad type looking place, and that's pretty much what Cliff Kingsbury is. But if you think about it. Dude, he's in Scottsdale, Arizona, right? It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon. It's 85 degrees. And he's got the fireplace outside. That's how you know it's completely staged and phony. But good for him. Cliff Kingsbury's living the life. And with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. Uh, feel free. Throw me questions. Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, email. You know how to reach me. I'm going to do a Giants After Dark early next week. Answer all your questions, draft, and moving forward. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Everybody stay safe and healthy. I'm Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, Giants reporter. See you next time.